The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box. We are live from Davos at the World Economic Forum, and I'm Jeff Cutler. It's true, he is, and I'm Steve Sedgwick, and these are your headlines. So let's give you an update on the coronavirus. China imposing a travel ban on the city of Wuhan as Beijing confirms nearly 600 cases and 17 deaths from the infection. Meanwhile, President Trump takes the fight to Davos. Uh, the U.S. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin tells CNBC he'll pursue tariffs if the U.K. and Italy now go ahead with digital tax plans. But the Italian finance minister says Europe is a tough negotiator. Our method is to uh, identify at global level, multi-level level solutions. So uh, we prefer to work on the solutions, and uh, instead that. Uh, so I think Europe, of course. Has to be ready also as such to respond if needed together. Pakistan's Prime Minister Imran Khan uses his bilateral meeting with President Trump here at the forum to call on him to intervene in the dispute over Kashmir, telling CNBC India has been taken over by, quote, an extremist ideology. I want President Trump, head of the most powerful country in the world, he should intervene right now. Uh, uh, United Nations or, or President Trump through the UN. And ECB's Christine Lagarde is poised to launch the bank's first strategy review in 16 years. Now, this is JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon tells CNBC his one big worry, yeah, you guessed it, negative rates. The only thing I have trepidation about is, is negative interest rates, QE, uh, and the diversion between stock prices and bond prices and yields and stuff like that. Uh, it's kind of one of the great experiments of all time, and we still don't know what the ultimate outcome is. So, a very warm welcome, everybody, to our continued coverage from the World Economic Forum in Davos. How's it going for you? It's going really well, actually. I've got to Good. say, I, I, I think there's been some fantastic stuff. You've been doing some amazing work off Thank camera you. as well. Um, I, I'm getting a really interesting vibe, actually, I've got to say. And, mm. and, my, and if, on a lot of issues, I would say the pragmatism is there. I, you hear Mr Trump on one side, you hear Greta Thunberg on another, mm. you hear stakeholder capitalism's not working on one side. It isn't. Mm. And I think there are things happening. I think there is a sense of realism in many quarters as well, which perhaps isn't being um, shown fully in some of the headlines. The, the headline grabbing from people is catastrophe, catastrophe or, or fan, things are fantastic. And I think there's something in the middle going on. I um, uh, had a very interesting conversation with uh, someone very senior in the corporate world, and I won't, I won't name them because I thought the comments uh, were quite revealing. And the remark was, I see a lot of companies here making big announcements about 10 or 20 year plans to go carbon neutral mm. or carbon negative, and I don't buy it. There's a lot of ambition, and that's good, but can that aspiration actually be fulfilled 
big question mark. Well, I, I had was interesting. A, uh, let me dovetail on the back yeah. of that. And I had a comment in one of my panels from a gentleman who's put it together 120 companies in 20 years, um, big California entrepreneur as well. Mm. Uh, and he said to me, he said, do you know what I want to do? And this is very cynical, but I'll say it. He said, I want to sell the picks and shovels to those people who are getting on board on the gold rush. That's where I'm going to make my money as well. And I thought that was quite illuminating, i.e. he was referring to the current rush to invest in ESG and climate-related activities mm. as a gold rush. And actually where he saw the opportunity was selling the equipment to let them go ahead and do it. But actually he thought the gold rush itself was questionable. Mm. Well, uh, interesting interesting cynicism yeah, nonetheless. Definitely. But anyway, we'll discuss this throughout the day. We've got an amazing set of guests. And coming up, uh, we're going to hear from an interview I did late last night. Italian finance minister Roberto Gualtieri uh, is coming up. Uh, we're going to speak to Joe Kayser of Siemens. Uh, absolutely fascinating what Joe's been saying in the last year or so about the US and about uh, Frau Merck and a whole host of things. Guy Ryder is the director general of the ILO. That is really important intervention. What are the jobs like? What are the quality jobs like? Are there gaps in the skill base as well? And well, you know this one, the IIF CEO, Tim Adams, he puts out some data, regular basis, talking about global debt levels. Let's see if we can get that conversation, a little bit more progression on the back of it, because apparently Jamie Dimon's not worried about non-financial corporate debt. Well, the only problem is sovereign debt, as far as Jamie Dimon is concerned, right? <laughs> Look over here, yeah? Yeah. Uh, well, it does feel a little bit like that. We'll, but, we'll see what Tim Adams says. But there's some other clear and present dangers out there. Let's uh, get on to the headline story then. The Chinese city of Wuhan has shut down its transport networks and suspended all incoming and outgoing flights as it battles to contain the coronavirus. The virus is believed to have emerged at an animal market in central China's largest industrial and commercial hub. The virus has so far killed 17 people and infected nearly 600. Cases have also been reported now in Thailand, South Korea, Japan and the United States. The World Health Organization says it welcomes measures by officials in Wuhan to halt the spread of the coronavirus. The group said the actions were appropriate and being implemented with full commitment by the authorities. Speaking at the headquarters in Geneva, the director general said the organization needs more time to decide whether to declare the outbreak an international emergency. Today, there was an excellent discussion during committee meeting, but it was also clear that to proceed, we need more information. For that reason, I have decided to ask the emergency committee to meet again tomorrow to continue their discussion. And the chair, Dr. Saint, has agreed with that request. Well, speaking to CNBC in Davos, Germany's health minister Jens Spahn praised the international cooperation taking place in fighting the coronavirus. This time, uh, within days and not within weeks or months, we have international cooperation. We have more transparency about what's going on in China. Uh, by, the, by, uh, by the way, the first quick testing uh, was actually developed in Berlin, at the charity hospital. So there's international cooperation for that, too. And that is an important difference. And our CDC, our national one, the Robert Koch Institute, the European, the US CDC, they are in steadily contact with each other. Um, so actually, we are preparing. Uh, for, for the challenges, for the potential risks. But I would say for now, actually, uh, uh, China is dealing with it and the countries actually that had a case in, uh, in, in their countries uh, are dealing with it in a proper way. 
U.S. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin has warned European countries against imposing, quote, arbitrary taxes on U.S. tech companies. Speaking to me on a panel I hosted at the forum. Great panel, by the way. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, it was, uh, was, I mean, I, my, I'm not joking. I thought your introduction was some of the wittiest I've ever heard. Thank you very much. And, and, you know, you, you're, we're not yeah. averse to a dad joke, you and I, no. but it was very good. Yeah, I like I'll... the way you guys gave Sajid a little <laughs> bit of a, a busting Boris's booze ban in Davos. Yes. Well, I mean, goodness, you know... Um, <laughs> It, ridiculous, really. I, I, we all understand, I think, why Boris Johnson felt that he needed to appeal to a certain constituency in the UK by saying, I'm not going up the mountain. We're not sending anybody from but the government up he knows from personal there. experience what it's like in Davos, well, doesn't he? Absolutely. Well, he does, because I interviewed him outside the Belvedere a few years ago when he was the <laughs> London mayor. He didn't seem so reluctant then. But anyway, <laughs> coming back to the uh, forum, we obviously talked about a, a number of things. Uh, he also addressed, this is Stephen Mnuchin, um, Italy and the UK's plans to forge ahead with a digital levy and said the US administration would retaliate by taxing European car companies. So the panel went well and the warning came after I asked Mnuchin if the UK and the US would soon strike a trade deal after President Trump told CNBC he was already talking to Boris Johnson. We'll be having some private conversations about that <laughs> that we don't need to have on, on TV. No, please do. Please but, do. Uh, we'll, 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 we've, I've made some comments on this already, and uh, we'll be having some private conversations. And I'm sure the president and Boris will be speaking on it as well uh, as the president did with, uh, with Macron. But, but this is a principled issue for you. And for the American government, it seems you just don't want foreign governments and countries imposing taxes on your digital industry willy nilly. No, that's well, will, the willy nilly is the important part. I think we've been pretty clear that we think that the digital tax is discriminatory in nature. There's an OECD process that we're participating in. International tax issues are very complicated. They take long times to look at. And, uh, you know, if uh, if people want to just arbitrarily put taxes on. Uh, on our digital companies, we'll consider arbitrarily putting taxes on car companies. So two sides to every story. Um, fascinating watching the detente that we've talked about, which, as you know, I think is pretty phony as well. I think there's a long grass kicking situation going on between the Europeans and the US at the moment over this. Everyone's waiting on Angel Gurria, who I spoke to the other day as well. But of course, in the meantime, the Italian parliament passed late last year uh, a bill uh, which became law on the 1st of January to impose a 3% digital tax. Mm. And then there's no other copy about it. And yet, and yet, I was speaking to the Italian finance minister, Roberto Gualtieri, last night, who told me that Europe is ready to respond. But he hopes in the meantime to reach a multilateral agreement on digital tax. I respond that uh, we are uh, very committed uh, in uh finding a global solution to this problem. So we want a global solution. We believe we can get a global solution. Uh, so we are engaged in the process at global level. And uh, uh, our, our tax is designed in a way which is uh, first, nobody has to pay now. The, the payment is due to happen the following year mm -hmm. and is as already sunset close. So it will automatically expire if there will be a, a global solution. So, so right. the, the system we have defined is in line to what, uh, for instance, uh, my friend Bruno Le Maire and uh, Mr. Minuchin have agreed. So we are in line with the solution. So you're holding off until Mr. Guria gets the solution. And Mr. Guria has said to me this week, I can do do this potentially with all will 
by the end of the year. Yeah, we are confident. Uh, actually, our uh, the, the way in which we design the tax is a, a slightly different from 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 the French one. Very similar for uh, for a lot of reason, but in this respect is different because the payment is due uh, February next year. Mm. So it's a bit simpler the concept of waiting to see uh, the end of the international negotiation. And I agree with with Bruno Le Maire that uh, if there will not be a solution at global level, we will go ahead. But how do you feel? But we put all our all our cards and all our effort to find together with our partners a solution at global level. But how do you feel about the US threatening sanctions against your country for doing something that many nations believe has to be done? Surely you must balk at suggestions that uh, your actions are worthy of sanctions against Italy and indeed broader Europe. Yeah, of course, uh, this is a method that uh, everyone who chooses his method is not our line. Uh, our method is to uh, identify at global level, multi-level level solutions. So uh, we prefer to work on the solutions and uh, instead that. Uh, so I think Europe, of course, has to be ready also as such to respond if needed together and we will be unite. But uh, our approach is to is a positive one to find solution to a problem which is objective so we support both pillar the digital one which is actually more ambitious than just digital mm -hmm. is uh, updating our mechanism of defining taxation for multinational enterprises taking into account the, the, the enormous changes and uh, OECD Mr. Guri are doing an excellent job and of course also pillar two which is the minimum effective level taxation is essential to avoid fiscal dumping so we are extremely committed and engaged in this process and we are, we, we are confident. Minister, you have impeccable European credentials in Brussels as well, as we've mentioned as well. Is Europe ready for a fight with the United States on broader tariffs, whether it be over the automobile industry uh, and other factors as well? Is Europe ready for a robust response? Because Mr Trump, to my colleague Joe Kernan today, has already said Europe needs a deal, Europe will give us a deal. I think uh, Mr. Trump correctly said that uh, Europe is a tough negotiator, so we will be a good negotiator. But uh, of course, our aim is to find a good agreement. Uh, in negotiation, also uh, measures, uh, uh, retaliation measures are part of a toolkit of every negotiator, and we are confident that uh, European negotiator will be good negotiators, and we will be united in this negotiation. But again, with the aim to support uh, ambitious trade deals, to support multi multilateralism, to update our rules, but to uh, keep an uh, open market economy working with more rules up, uh, adapted to, to the new circumstances, more quality in the trade agreements, but to supporting uh, international trade. At the same time, we see a point that Europe has also the, the, the need, the interest, I would say, economically, but also strategically, to be less dependent also on global trade. We, we Of course, we want to remain a, 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 a continent, a union which, which does a lot of foreign trade. But we need to support our internal demand more. Uh, so an engine of internal demand based on investment, high quality investment, again, innovation, sustainability, is essential also for addressing some of the structural, um, let's say, weakness of growth we are seeing.
Well, well I'll, I'll just jump in here if I may. Yeah. There, there's a couple of bits there. But one, um, it's not almost everything is awesome, but it's nearly that in Italy, as far as I was concerned. The demire resignation from the leadership of Five Star, mm. the what could be horrendous elections for the government in Emilia Romagna that's coming up this weekend as well. The debt pile, the banking situation, uh, and even the digital tax. I got the impression from the Italians that everything's just okay, and I was like, well, I'm not sure it is. But um, the digital tax is beautiful because although they've brought it in on the first of January, mm. they're not actually going to take any tax from the Americans or anyone else mm. uh, until the end of this year. And of course, by the end of this year, the hope is that Guria, Mr. Guria over at the OECD can mm. get a, a wide-ranging OECD deal. So it, it is a, an extraordinary situation. You and I are professional cynics. That's what journalists should be as well. Mm. Whereas I felt, dare I say it, uh, Mr. Guantieri was incredibly optimistic on a whole host of issues that many of us seem worried about. Well, it just feels that that whole digital tax issue is going to be kicked into the long grass for some time to come. And I really got the sense uh, on the panel yesterday mm. that it was was being used as a negotiating uh, uh, gambit. Mm. It, it, you know, OK, you want to come and you want to start talking about adjusting the trade balance with Europe. And I think the Americans have got a pretty good case when you look at the raw numbers. But obviously the Europeans are resisting and they need to have something to go back with and say, oh, well, hang on a second here. There are other things we can do. I expect these will get traded away at yeah. some point as yeah. part of some agreement. But I mean, the other big agreement that we're obviously looking at is what happens next with China. The Treasury Secretary, Mr Mnuchin, told me on the panel that um, also included the IMF Managing Director, of course, the UK Chancellor and the Chairman of UBS, that there is no definite timeline to complete a phase two trade deal with the People's Republic. There's no deadlines. So the first issue we're very focused on the next 30 days is implementing phase one. There's also as part of this a real implementation office uh, as part of enforcement. And we'll start on phase two. If we get that done before the election, great. If it takes longer, that's fine. So 22 months is not a, a relevant number in terms of targets and agendas. I think we dealt with a lot of the important issues in, in phase one and, and, and things that we've, we've never dealt with before. And I think that gives us a great advance into phase two. But whether we get it done or not, I just think the, the combination of phase one and the combination of the USMCA, and I know we're very much looking forward to a new trade agreement with the UK. That's a, a big priority of ours for this year. Secretary Mnuchin. Well, the trade tensions have clearly taken their toll on the Chinese economy. However, the chairman of Chinese conglomerate Fosan International told me in an exclusive interview that local market activity will help create a turnaround. We are very happy to see the phase one deal. It suggests the leaders in China and the US have the wisdom to settle the differences. However, I believe there will be various conflicts between the two countries going forward, but I think the relationship should be characterized as competition and cooperation. They will always coexist. The US-China trade war so far hasn't had any direct impact on Fosun. There clearly is an impact on the larger Chinese economy. We have seen trade slow down this year as a result of the ongoing spat. Again, let me just ask you, um, do you foresee any of that trade slowdown dragging into this year? I know a lot of your assets are overseas, but you do have some domestic focus as well. 
Half of Fosun's businesses are in China. The trade war has had an impact on the Chinese economy. Luckily, consumption in China is picking up, and there is still considerable room for growth for the Chinese economy. The Chinese people are hardworking. They aspire to have a good life, and they work hard towards their goals. The young people are full of entrepreneurship spirit, and they are diligent. Moreover, China is undergoing regional integration. The high-speed rail network and internet are being constantly upgraded and improved. I see many opportunities in China, and I am very confident about the next decade for Fosun. The Chinese people have experienced a number of setbacks of late, and I think we're all sad to see the emergence of a new respiratory-related virus that's claimed some lives. It, it's not that long ago that we were looking at the problems surrounding the pig flu and the impact on the food chain. Can I ask you just for a response on the challenges that you see there and whether, given I think you do have some pharmaceutical assets, whether there is opportunity in some of this adversity for you? It is really unfortunate that we now have the virus in China, but I am confident that the government and people will be able to tackle this rather quickly. Being a leading pharmaceutical business, our mission is to help human beings live healthily and to reach 121 years old. We will spend more efforts and increase R&D in our pharma business. Right now, 30% of our profits before tax are invested in R&D. We will increase the share to pharma businesses. So coming up next on this show, Christine Lagarde is set to launch the ECB's first strategy review in 16 years. But what will it include? Well, we are live in Frankfurt ahead of the central bank's first decision of the year next with Anetta. The data in this podcast is brought to you by Refinitiv, our global data and analytics partner for Squawk Box Podcast, a road to Davos. Refinitiv is an open data ecosystem powering the financial markets through an open platform, advanced technologies, and deep domain expertise. Learn more at refinitiv.com forward slash Davos. Welcome back to Squawk Box. Well, it's ECB Day today. The central bank is due to release its first monetary policy decision of the year. New President Christine Lagarde will announce the central bank's first strategic review since 2003, spanning a broad range of topics from digital currencies to climate change. The process is likely to last most of 2020 and will include an assessment of the bank's inflationary goal setting after the eurozone failed to reach its longstanding 2% Target. Annette Weisbach joins us now from Frankfurt. Annette, today the investment community isn't expecting much in the way of a change in policy. The key focus, I understand, is going to be on this strategic review. What type of detail can we expect to see from Madame Lagarde later today? Uh, most likely we are not getting an awful lot of details about uh, the uh, future or the uh, yeah of this strategic review I guess um, the most we can expect is perhaps some contemplation about whether they could envision also an inflation range or whether they look into the symmetric inflation target um, and that is actually crucial also for investors because a range could for example imply that they are per- perhaps less uh, focused 
focused on hitting one specific inflation target, and that could mean that they could actually hike rates rather sooner than later. If we have a symmetric inflation target, that would mean that uh, most likely ECB would have to ease monetary policy further because, of course, they have also to overshoot inflation. So, um, I guess it will be very much about details, but also about her vision uh, of how the ECB should look like in the future. And there are already people inside the ECB uh, quite critical of a broader mandate for the central bank, i.e. also to tackle climate change. So it will be an interesting press conference once again. And her second one, back to you. Annette, thank you so much. I look forward to covering that uh, meeting later on today with you. All right, let's take a look at markets. U.S. indices ended little change on the day yesterday. The Dow Jones ending a touch in negative territory, while the S&P and the Nasdaq managed to uh, eke out some small gains on the day. Global investors assessing the risk of the spread of that coronavirus in China. Also in the U.S., investors digesting some solid home sales data for the month of December. Let's take a look at Asian markets where Chinese equities in particular are under a great deal of pressure. The Shanghai Composite down 2.8%. The Shenzhen down 3.5% on the back of concerns around that virus as Chinese authorities move to take further action on containing its spread. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.